0: okay so today i'm really excited to say we've got co-founder of sweat economy oleg Fomenko. welcome
1: thank you very much jimmy pleasure being here
0: so oleg is dialing in from just outside lisbon portugal which makes me incredibly jealous we just spent the last 20 minutes talking about his aspirations to be a surfer Um, It sounds like his kids have already beaten him to it. Um, we described the sweat economy as an ecosystem designed to reward movement. Um, Two products, Sweatcoin app, which is kind of more the Web 2 proposition and the Sweat wallet, which is Web 3. uh, And I believe a big release happened in the last several weeks. we are recording this on the 10th of November, to give you context uh, as to time. Yeah. Um, Just shy of eight weeks ago. Eight weeks ago. <laughs> we pushed it out. Yeah. Um, Oleg is an entrepreneur with experience in mobile, telco, and consumer goods. Uh, really impressive background, actually, and going to be really interesting hearing his perspective on how he thinks his peers and ex-colleagues are thinking about Web3, if at all. Um, Actually, you know, looking at everything that's going on with FTX, you know, do we think that's going to change? Do we think that's going to impact reputation for enterprise and and, and big tech? We're also going to get into his founder journey, and in particular, what the sweat economy is uh, all about. Um, So I mentioned Oleg's uh, worked at some uh, really uh, significant companies from Pepsi, Coca-Cola, Visa, BT and BCG, Boston Consulting Group, um, in a number of strategic roles, uh, very much focused on behavioral change, which I guess is the link into uh, to Sweatcoin, um, and uh, was also CEO and founder of Bloom.fm um, during, well, what was that, 2008-14, which was an award-winning yeah. mobile music streaming service. Uh, had about uh, over one million users, registered users in the UK. So um, he is a serious dude. Um, but Oleg, let's let's talk about how you got here. Your your journey as a founder.
1: Yeah, um, let me start very early because uh, I was born in uh, Soviet Union, and I had absolutely no aspiration whatsoever to be an entrepreneur because in Russian, entrepreneur has this sort of connotation that sooner or later, you're going to end up in jail. And I had no plans like that. And, you know, so this whole area and field, of course, just didn't exist and wasn't in my psyche until I left Russia and, you know, basically started uh, getting deeper in the business And all of those big rants that uh, you mentioned actually happened at that stage. I was just, to be honest, just bobbing about and sort of trying to acquire experience without any particular plan other than I wanted to end up, you know, sort of having something global or working with a global, you know, sort of outlook. And, um, you know, kind of it all changed when I moved to the UK because, you know UK is not like US obsessed with you know sort of the cult of entrepreneur and startups and you know all of that you know which is almost like a you know kind of everyman's lore but you definitely felt that starting businesses and doing something different and innovating was a lot more kind of in you know kind of in the you know in sort of common psyche um, I've tried a couple of times, uh, but uh, it wasn't really working because before I became British citizen, it was extremely difficult. Starting from sort of start, starting a company, I needed somebody sort of local as a uh, co-director in order for me to be able to, you know, even open a bank account and you know, it was just absolute nightmare. So um, I did my final stint at a big company, which was uh, British Telecom. And I, you know, kind of did a fairly interesting bit there about bundling of uh, telecom services. But the, you know, kind of the most important thing that I've done while there is I acquired my British passport. And on the day after me getting a passport, I resigned from BT and started uh, what became Blumafam. And that was a very, very interesting journey for me because uh, I thought that I was experienced seasoned executive. I tried this, this, this and this. But actually, entrepreneurship is very different vocation from uh, being an employee, even if you're a very senior employee. The appetite for risk is completely different. The way of thinking is uh, uh, necessarily completely different because if you're innovating, there is very little uh, that you can actually pick up and just simply replicate from other businesses if you're truly innovating. I'm not talking about that let's do blue Spotify. Okay, you, you know, kind of, you can probably pick up quite a lot from other businesses and, you know, don't take me wrong. There are lots of copycats around and some of, some of them are, are even successful, but I just wasn't particularly interested in that. And, uh, you know, when you're innovating, you cannot really get right and wrong. You have to take bets and really go a lot more on the gut um rather than on chart slides and data and that took quite a long while for me to you know kind of switch off I always tried to rationalize and you know kind of sculpt the decisions and make sure that they were rock solid and then I realized that uh, basically um you know kind of going back to my sort of uh, psychology days uh, my education um, actually got me into uh into psychology and uh, sociology and interest in human behavior and behavioral economics, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And, um, you know, kind of what I realized was that by having all of these solid slides and data, I was simply backing the decision or the direction that my gut felt was, you know, kind of relevant to reality. Exactly. So, you know, kind of when I realized this about myself, I kind of went, okay, there is no need to do so much work. And once the sense of direction is there, yes, you sense check it. So, you know, it's not just sort of random flip of a coin, but, you know, kind of I became a lot more relaxed about taking risks and uh, just the amount of uncertainty that uh, one lives in. And that served me sort of extremely well because, you know, kind of Bloom of femme, was a very successful uh, project for a period of time until it wasn't um, because it died in very unfortunate circumstances in 2014 um, and uh, basically i had to you know within 72 hours which probably is very similar to, to duration with this you know kind of ftx uh, sort of Binance saga all of a sudden from you know, kind of, it's all good, we are, you know, kind of, we are running along to holy shit, the world is over. And, uh, you know, I had to fire people and I was, you know, for a very long time uh, under suspicion of trading insolvent and it was extremely difficult uh, period of time when uh, being sort of a bit more of a risk taker and a lot more comfort living in sort of uncertainty Served me quite well. It doesn't mean that it was easy. I, you know, kind of, I wouldn't wish this on, you know, upon anyone. And, you know, my heart goes to SBF. I'm pretty confident that, you know, kind of he is having torrid time, uh, right now. And hopefully at some point we're actually going to hear from him how, you know, kind of how it all happened and how he felt and, you know, what was actually kind of going on in uh, his mind. But. It actually resulted in a pretty magical and amazing thing because um, my now co-founder um, and I met, and you know, kind of, I was all down, and we went for a run in Richmond Park. I was living right next to get to Richmond Park back then, and uh, I could barely complete five k. And I started wondering what the hell has happened, you know, how is it possible that, you know, I cannot run 5k like two, two to three years before I was climbing some of the highest mountains in the world. And it was a very interesting conversation because my co-founder also has, um, you know, kind of consulting background, but he went, instead of MCG, he spent quite a lot of time in sport and sport management. And he was talking about sport and health and fitness. And I was pretty obsessed at that moment with blockchain because um, I looked at Bitcoin for the first time in 2011. Uh, a friend of mine mentioned it and said, this is really cool. Um, and I went and then researched it. And in my infinite stupidity, I really got hooked on technology as opposed to Bitcoin itself. I should have bought a few, you know, probably for the price of coffee. I could have bought a house right now uh, back then, 2011. I think it was like 20 cents or something, you know, something absolutely ludicrous. But I ended up doing BTC Guild uh, pool software, which was the first ever reincarnation of um, a sort of pulling hash rate from uh, uh, domestic computers that somebody uh, ever developed. And it was sitting in the corner of my uh, room. Uh, on an old laptop and believe it or not the hash rate required uh, for bitcoin back then was so low that even with a pile of crock I was able to get few satoshis Of course they were absolutely worthless it was an interesting experiment uh, I basically threw away the laptop uh, if you find it uh, let me know you know, anyone <laughs> you know how glad you know I, I have a password you have hardware you know we'll split it 50 50 everyone will be very happy. Um but uh, basically I got really, really hooked in tech and I was very interested in uh, uh kind of Bitcoin and what it will bring. Uh when I was developing Bloom FM, we were toying with the idea of setting accepting Bitcoin, but it was so rare and so few people held it that we decided that it just wasn't worth it. Um and then fast forward to that run, I was you know kind of thinking that shit, I definitely want to do something in uh, uh blockchain and crypto. Because I do believe it is the future of uh, kind of financial, I wouldn't even say freedom because it sounds too libertarian, but, you know, kind of our future financial instruments are going to be, um, you know, kind of not 100% crypto, but they will be on your mobile and, uh, you know, blockchain and uh, sort of immutable ledgers are going to play a considerably more important role. In the products that we will be using, that's my absolute belief. And uh, I was thinking that I'll be doing that. And then there was this light bulb moment where we, you know, kind of started talking about, you know, kind of physical activity and me wanting to be more active. And we realized that, you know, hundred percent of people, you know, if I ask Jamie, would you like to, you know, kind of be more physically active? Everyone says, yeah, I should, but. There is money, there is time, there is, I don't know, no local gym, there is, you know, kind of all a matter of excuses, no motivation. And we kind of started thinking, you know what? If 100% of people, if you are depressed in front of tea with a beer at 10 o'clock in the morning, you want to be active. And if you're preparing for ultra marathon, you want to be training more. How come that it's absolutely universal kind of problem that people experience? Typically when you have such a universal problem, you end up or you might end up having a universal explanation uh, as opposed to this plethora of various different things. And uh, we started digging into it and here sort of my behavioral economics and, you know, psychology uh, studies and interest helped a lot because what we figured out is that the reason why you're not physically active is not because you don't have money, time, motivation, energy, you know, blah, blah, blah. It is because nature doesn't want you to be active. Nature does not, did not build you to be active. Nature built you to survive. And that means preserving calories because at the times when, you know, at the time when we were created and sort of evolving, it was scarcity, not, you know, times of plenty. And therefore, if you had calories in you, it was absolute necessity to preserve them for as long as possible and only use them if there is next mammoth shows up in the horizon so that you get more food. Or if saber tooth tiger is planning to make meal out of you, then you run. Otherwise, you sit in front of the fire. Our software hasn't really changed. So, you know, mammoths come right now three times a day on massive plates. But what, we, what do we do in between them? If nature has its way, we sit. And it's very, very difficult to fight nature. We know that, (laughs) you know, it is extremely difficult. And nature is so adamant that this is an important thing for you that it gave us this, well, back then it was feature right now. It's more of a bug called present bias. So you're focusing right here, right now, either obtaining that food or pleasure or escaping from being eaten or pain. And You know, there's only one way to fight present bias that nature paints to us and it's instant gratification. And uh, how do we know that? Uh, Well, you have kids, uh, you know, we can probably, you know, as dad to dad, we can have a dad joke. You know, do you think that you would have kids if nature didn't give us an orgasm? I think that, you know, we would completely lose all of that procreation behavior a long time ago. So instant gratification deals with the um, uh, present bias extremely effectively. So we figured, Ooh, okay, can we do something similar, you know, for physical activity? And if you look back at our very old pitches, we were using this sort of line to score our first grants and stuff, orgasm for exercise. Uh, it sounds like a joke, but the reality is uh, uh, that, you know, can, there's a lot of uh, thinking in that, which is basically it is an instant gratification in exchange for your step. And you know, kind of, we kind of went. Hmm, this sounds interesting. Okay, can we turn step into something that is gratifying? What's most gratifying? What's the simplest thing to you know to, to explain? And it's money. Of course, you cannot pay real money because you know, kind of, how you're going to generate it, especially if you're tiny business. So we invented our own sweatcoin, and uh, that's basically how idea was born. And uh, we wanted to be on blockchain already in 2015. We couldn't, and very much until last year, we were, you know, just not finding any technology that was allowing us to move because, you know, already by 2017, we were processing several hundred transactions per second at peak. And that would be like 40x Bitcoin's theoretical speed and about 20x uh, uh, Ethereum's theoretical speed. So, you know, we were in a completely different place in terms of scale, in terms of, you know, technology requirements and being centralized really saved our ass, which, you know, we're very grateful for. And last year, all of a sudden, there was Solana, Algorand, Nier, blah, 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 blah. And we kind of went, wow, great. We're finally there. And we did massive projects and we selected Nier. And I guess the rest is history. We launched Sweat, our crypto token, about you know just shy of eight weeks uh, ago. And I wish I could say that it's you know it's growing great guns. It's with the market, and I am you know from one side, I am very uh, happy that we launched in downturn because to be honest, I think it focuses mind and it you know makes sure that you are prioritizing and building right things because feedback loop is instantaneous from another side it is definitely a lot more stressful i mean as last 72 hours have shown you know you can plan you can plan you can plan but then you know something happens and you know you you know the whole market <laughs> goes down the drain
0: yeah i mean look fascinating uh, journey and i think it's a really important discussion, right? Because you're an entrepreneur, you built an app with users, a real business. Uh, and yeah. I, I wanna get into the detail yeah. of exactly yeah. what, what you can do with Sweatcoin, I guess 1.0, the original Sweatcoin, um, yeah. and, and then what's now possible with, with um, the uh, the more decentralized element. But before we do all that, I think um, it is important, right? We we at the accelerator we deal with lots of founders. Increasingly, you have businesses, you know, so they're yeah. not they're not necessarily reliant on a token. They could do a token or not, um, but they fundamentally believe that by making their business model or their digital economy Web three enabled, yeah. it's going to allow for new behaviours to emerge um, it's going to incentivize uh, uh, new behaviours um and so i just want to kind of go into into that a little bit because as you say mm-hmm. it comes with loads of risks loads of distractions as well right and there's there's so many things you just can't control at the moment yeah. uh, there are no to little uh, fundamentals driving this token or that token everything's up everything's down you can build the best token economy in the world and FTX does something they shouldn't have done with client funds and the world implodes and maybe for two years, every token's fucked. Totally possible, right? Um, Hopefully not, but totally possible. So how, firstly, why Web3? Why did you choose to bring this complexity into your business? Why was that important? And then I think secondly, and maybe you don't have the answer to this, but how do you as a founder then navigate that complexity of running a business and then having this web three element live in the market? Very good questions.
1: Um, I think the first question is why there are three elements to the answer. Um, the first one is because it was uh, an original plan. Uh, Because we wanted to create a currency that is backed by physical activity, Uh, a currency that is the, you know, expression of physical activity value, that was the kind of original idea. And why is because the problem that we're trying to solve is making the world more physically active. And if you attach Some value to an action, no matter how big or small it is, you are starting to nudge people to change their behavior subtly, subtly, subtly. And, uh, you know, in order to create a currency, you either need a country, it might be a small country, but you need a country, or you need to be on blockchain and you need to be a token. So far, we really don't have any other examples of successful currencies. So that's the first element. The second element is, surprisingly, despite us not being crypto and being centralized, even after seven years of our existence, our users really wanted us to, you know, to, to go crypto, to, you know, to make even sweatcoin, which is our, you know, still centralized currency, uh, become a crypto token. And the reason for it is very simple because everyone, I mean, the the times of crypto having really kind of bad, bad image of drugs and illegal activities uh, is kind of gone in the minds of consumers. Everyone is interested and curious, but they have two problems with it. One is... It's very, very complex and a lot of them have tried wallets and there are infinite number of steps and then there are 24 words and you know, you have to record them somewhere and you're frightened that you know, if you lose them, you lose all your funds. So even if people create their wallet, they don't put anything in it because they kind of go, this is scary. And the second massive problem is that uh, uh, in order to learn Web3, you actually have to put quite a lot of money at risk. You know, you know, you probably need at least 500 to 1,000 bucks to throw into the mill. And then, you know, can, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to lose quite a lot of it. Not because, you know, you, you've taken risky decisions, but because you just simply screwed up on transferring the bridge and mixed the Ethereum address with the, you know, Polygon address or, you know, something. And there are kind of infinite number of, you know, things that, you know, people are worried about. And of course... You know, there is no day passes that, you know, you don't read about, you know, some hack or in the last 72 hours that there is a hole of $8 billion in someone's balance sheet. And this frightens the heebie-jeebies out of people. They don't want to put their grand into a blender where they feel, you know, it's likely that they will lose it. So good UX and... You know, let me play at least understand the space without spending money were the sort of two things that came back. And we realized that we can deliver on that. We have seven years experience of developing amazing UX because Sweatcoin is really, really good app with more than 120 million users worldwide wow. that adds value to people's lives that mostly acquires uh, users through word of mouth because we've created really, really attractive product even without it being crypto and we also know that we can literally allow people to walk into crypto because this is how our token comes to be but what backs it is not some sort of funky flywheel where you know one thing goes into another and that thing goes into the original one and if everything goes well it's all working but if it's not then it's a boom but on a very simple sort of notion that we know how to make money. Sweatcoin is one of the very, very, very few health and fitness apps that is profitable. And, you know, even massive, you know, kind of household names in health and fitness Still, um, not profitable, and that's the reason why most of them got acquired by sort of big sports brands, um, you know, uh, instead of uh, going independent. Could, could you explain uh, how the how how the revenues generated,
0: and then how sure. that revenue presumably then pays pays users? Because I think understanding the sure. basic economic system is is going to be key.
1: Sure, absolutely. So you know, can if you think of Sweatcoin, this is Web two right now, the original business. Uh, what we have are the people that want to be physically active right? and we allow them to convert their physical activity into a currency now we need to make sure that this currency has utility and value to the other side of the marketplace brands you know kind of insurers healthcare providers etc and uh, uh basically we started with a very simple uh thing there are Thousands, tens of thousands of brands that are operating in health, sport, fitness, fashion, vanity, makeup, you know, kind of areas, which are very strongly linked to, you know, your body shape, to taking, you know, doing sport, to looking good. And where would these brands prefer to acquire their users? On Facebook and Google, where, you know, kind of they go on you know, on on, on an expressed interest. So I like Nike on Facebook. Does it mean that I am sporty or does it mean that I just like Nike trainers um, to to wear them, you know, to work and from work? Uh, So it's very difficult to decipher. In our world, you know, can we know that these people are active. We know how they're active. And you can even target your products to more active people by having higher Bitcoin prices versus lower Bitcoin prices. So, you know, for these brands, it's an incredible, you know, kind of place to acquire dream audience that are already physically active or gagging to become more physically active. So our two big revenue streams that are coming from here are partnerships. So brands paying us to get exposure to these tens of millions of users. And advertising, and now there is a third revenue stream, which is the fastest growing for us. It's a premium subscription, where users pay, you know, subscription in order to get sort of, uh, additional uh, products and services, and earn, you know, Sweatcoin bonuses uh, faster than uh, users on the free tier. So we have three revenue streams that, as I mentioned, made us. Profitable. Now, when we looked into Web3, we realized that in addition to these three revenue streams, which are lucrative in themselves because, you know, uh, partnerships as well as advertising are actually generating higher rates per user in Web3 than in Web2. So in terms of um, unit economics, Web3 would be better even if we just had these three revenue streams but web 3 also presents additional revenue opportunities for us on-ramp off-ramp token trading all of these generate fees on each transaction nfts dynamic nfts and nft game not in any way similar to Axie or step and we're not talking about that but we're talking about all the millions of our web three users being, you know, kind of been given a, you know, kind of a seed. Let's think of a seed NFT. And depending on the way they move, depending on the way they interact with the app and depending on the on chain activity, it evolves into something unique that is representation of them in the, you know, sweat economy space. And this is a very, very strong and powerful token sync, because there is, you know, also a gaming mechanic that we are putting on top of, uh, sort of these dynamic uh, uh, NFTs. And it doesn't end there, because if you're starting to look further towards our vision that I've described to you earlier, that sweat needs to, you know, our token needs to become the, that principal unit of physical activity value. So, you know, there is distance, there are kilometers or miles, you know, the temperature, there is Celsius or Fahrenheit, you know, physical activity value, sweat. That's basically what we want to create in people's minds. And if we want to get there, then we need to, you know, make sure that our token is literally filled with the value of your physical activity. And we are achieving this by two things. First one is supply. You need to walk in order to generate sweat. And in order to generate next sweat, you need to walk a little bit more. And it is a consistent line. Think of it as a Bitcoin halving every four years, but our halving happens in real time, every nanosecond and is gradual. But what it achieves is a very interesting thing. First of all, it pushes you to walk earlier, you know, because, Your return on walk in the morning is better than your return on walk in the evening. Great. That makes people walk more because it sort of pushes, you know, motivation and activity into now rather than delaying it to the weekend, for example. So it's perfect for our mission. The second is it creates this very interesting thing that we believe was a spark that, made Bitcoin fly, because if you look at uh, very early communication of uh, uh, Hal Finney, um, you know, there is very famous email that flies around that, you know, kind of everyone sort of, out, you know, outlines 10 million, and that's what people latch on. But I believe that there is a lot more interesting thought in that same email, which is, if you can conceive that it is, that it has non-zero value then it will become, you know, kind of looking logically, uh, I, you know, kind of at some point it might become the value of 10 million. And it is this spark, it's this move from zero to non-zero that is the most interesting thing. And this is where I think a lot of tokens, a lot of projects are sort of missing the trick. Why is your token has non-zero value? If you can explain it, you know, you've already covered a lot of ground. And in our world, it's very, very simple. Um, our token, in addition to all of these great revenue streams that I've described, is simply filled with the value of your physical activity. And even if your step value is, you know, whatever, almost infinite number of zeros, but there is a decimal there, then... If you're constantly tightening the minting difficulty what's going to happen is that this value in each sweat is going to compound and it is going to become meaningful and it is going to become that unit of physical activity value throw in additional revenue streams that are just emerging right now where effectively we're generating revenue for your physical activity like NHS in the UK we have a partnership with them where we're helping NHS to prevent people from becoming diabetic. So when you have pre-diabetes syndrome diagnosis, there are two things that you need to do very quickly. Change your diet, change your lifestyle. You have to become a lot more active. Changing diet is relatively easy for people. Changing lifestyle is really hard, especially because a lot of these people are not old, but older, and they already have routines and kind of everything is settled all of a sudden cramming physical activity into your day-to-day life is very difficult this is where we come in you know forming groups small competitions and rewards for every step you take and all of a sudden the adherence to this plan you know that nhs had was like in you know between 20 and 30 percent with our help, the adherence to the new plan is more than 80%. So we're earning money on making people physically active. And in Web3, there are additional amazing revenue streams that I'm really excited about. The first one is brands and businesses that are operating with other physical activity. I don't know, cycling, swimming, Zumba, you know, high-intensity training, CrossFit, you name it. Um, they also want to sort of reward their users with the token. And we cannot measure and verify their physical activity. These guys can. In the future, they will run movement validators that will be able to talk to our smart contract and also issue sweat. Of course, that will come at a cost of them having to state a substantial amount of sweat. And that creates an additional demand pool and, you know, kind of quite a considerable token requirement in order for the whole economy to be stable. And that is purely linked to physical activity and its value. But the last one that is the most exciting, will take most work, but, you know, kind of is really interesting, you know, because it's very clear how to get there, is uh, monetizing data. And it sounds horrible because we're in Europe GDPR and, blah, blah you know, We've never, ever done anything with user data. We did not sell it, we not sell it, we don't monetize it in any way. But when we decentralize and we become DAO, we can pass this information and we have terabytes of it, you know, very detailed physical activity data. We can pass it to DAO and then you, as a token holder, will be able to flick the switch and say, Hmm. I want to make my data public, I want it to be analyzable. And then you will be able to monetize your data and DAO will take just a small cut. So, and that is purely linked to the value of your physical activity and its uh, data. So over time, revenue streams are going towards value of movement. The supply is very strongly linked to the value of movement, and this is how we will bootstrap through attention, engagement, and, you know, kind of all of that stuff, our token into becoming something fairly unique, different, and very valuable.
0: Yeah, very cool. So a, a couple of questions after <laughs> that, then. <laughs> um, Sorry,
1: I just went to no, no, it, 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 it was good great. coffee. It,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you sure it's just coffee? No, um, it, <laughs> it, you, you, it's, it's it's great to go deep into token design, right? Because we um, yeah. we uh, uh, you know very rarely do we we touch the detail of it. Usually, because people are a little bit scared from a regulatory perspective, right? So I think it's yeah. actually good to go uh, deep into to token design, and I think. Actually, you know, listening to you and obviously understanding your background in behavioral economics, I can see why you would bias towards this and Web3, um, just even intellectually and then, of course, as a founder. But obviously, not every founder has your background uh, or the kind of competency to be able to understand, design what is a relatively complex system, right? Um, So how do you how do you think a founder who doesn't have your background can begin to get their head around the principles of token design?
1: Mm.
0: And I like the zero piece. I like this thinking around, you know, how do you you break from zero? I think that's a really good insight. But is there anything else that you
1: you could kind of recommend? No, absolutely. Uh, You're not going to like my answer because uh, my default answer is the default in the baseline position is you do not need a token. Start with that. And, uh, you know, the reason why is because token is adding quite a lot of complexity yeah. to, uh, kind of whatever you're going to do. And if you have a really, really cool business idea that includes token, just toy with the idea of doing the same thing without the token, and you're going to find that it is probably going to be even simpler and easier to explain to people. But assuming that it does make sense, which in my world, uh, at least, you know, uh, and again, these are you know, kind of not investment advice and not gospel, and you know, not even truth, but these are my takes on what tokens and their value are right now, I see fundamentally three, and I'm not saying these are the only ones, but these are very, very clear sets of tokens that you can understand why they're valuable. The, the first one is Bitcoin. It's sort of digital gold, it's scarcity, and you know, it's already most used, recognized, and therefore it's valuable. The second one, and there is a whole group here, but clear leader is Ethereum. It's basically gas to run internet computers and machines that power all this clever transactional, computational stuff that make assets move around. And we know that your computer is not going to work without plugging it into the wall and you need electricity. So it is like electricity for internet computers. Is it valuable? Yes. So Ethereum and therefore tokens of other layer ones and layer twos are valuable, and we can understand why. And the third group is the stables, and even their names, so USDC, USDT. You kind of understand well inherently they are latching onto something that we already perceive as valuable, US dollar, and therefore they're valuable. Pretty much every other token has a very hard, you know, task ahead of them to explain in the very basic terms, what the hell are you there for? What role are you playing in the world? What problem are you solving for your users? And, you know, so far, it hasn't been done spectacularly well by a majority of projects. And this is the reason why I'm saying that, you know, our mission and why we have a token is because if physical activity has value and everyone universally agrees that it has, but nobody knows how valuable it is, then it bloody needs a unit that is traded so that we finally find an answer. How valuable is physical activity is to the world so that we can power all of those exciting exchanges where insurer can give you discount for your health and life policy because you're physically active, of course, you're at a better risk. You know, when your country can, you know, can allow you to pay lower taxes or part of your taxes and sweat, because if you're physically active, your pressure on healthcare costs is lower, you live in longer, your tax revenues are going to be higher over your lifetime. You know, things like that, we understand them, you know, easily when we put them into words, but we cannot power them and we cannot make them work financially because there is no asset. So this asset needs to exist. We are creating it. Unless you see something really, really strong like this, I would, you know, kind of, I would throw a challenge, you know, kind of really, really be confident that this token has value beyond, ooh, I'm going to be able to raise because I'm on blockchain. Ooh, I'm going to be really cool because I have a token. You know, kind of really, really think, what problem is your token solving for your uh, users? Assuming that the answer is yes, then I recommend to think about it in two ways first is supply you know how are you supplying your token how are you unlocking your token and here it's extremely important to be very transparent and ethical there are so many projects out there that you know screwed drug pulled where you know retail got locked tokens you know kind of investors and team got unlocked tokens. And they immediately exit, and they dump, and they wash their hands, and they leave. Somebody else uh, uh, kind of holding their bags. Don't be that guy, because to be honest, yes, you, you, you might even earn some money, you might even get away with it. But to be honest, you're hurting the whole industry and the future of financial systems, and you know, liberating quite a lot of people, and you know, kind of in being able to, you know, have the uh, kind of independent wealth in their pocket instead of you know, being in the bank. Don't be, you know, kind of don't be a scammer. I mean, honestly, this is this is really kind of horrible element of Web3 that, you know, I just can't stand. So, and then there is demand. And that is the hardest bit. And the way I'm thinking about demand in the most basic terms, if you're thinking about without a token business model is your revenues. How are you going to make money? What are going to be your revenue streams? And you need to have real clarity, not on how much you're going to earn, but what are those in the order of their kind of likelihood or easiness to implement because you're going to need to really push them very hard, very fast, and measure how much money you can generate very quickly after your launch to understand what do you need to double down on, what do you need to kill. So this is the most basic stuff. Then there is, because in Web3, there are token sinks and there are interesting sort of business models that, you know, you can do like NFTs, etc. You know, think about those because that gives you an opportunity to effectively collect tokens off the market and burn them, effectively removing circulating supply and helping you to reduce the total number of tokens, which increases the value of tokens remaining. In the pockets of uh, uh, consumers, so that's what I would do. The trickiest of them all is actually uh, demand and revenue.
0: No, absolutely, and I think look, um, the starting point should always be: uh, does this need a, a token? And as you say, you know, there should there should be a lot of hard work thought uh, put into to that demand component. And I think you're absolutely right. Increasingly, um, just as even Mark Zuckerberg now has to justify Meta as a business and its revenue and um, what he's investing in it. That's going to be true for everybody. It's not just in Web3 and crypto. The, the period of free money is over. Um, and people are yeah. going to, have to build real businesses uh, with sustainable revenue, uh, be profitable. I'm actually
1: really excited about this because you know what? One of the worst thing in Web3 are the, you know, well, not. Yeah, one of the worst. is crooks and thieves and red pools and all of that. And you know what? Money is not going to be easy. All of these people are going to go elsewhere. It's going to be a lot more about building and building good stuff. And therefore, it's going to get a lot more real. And it's going to be a lot easier to see who is swimming naked and who is not. So, yes, it's going to get tougher. But it will clean the field from a lot of projects that are actually spoiling the game for everybody else. Because if you're a Ponzi, you can create massive, massive, massive womb. Everyone is excited because they don't understand the inner workings of it. And projects that are trying to build something sustainable are screwed because everyone's going, oh, that's shiny. Let's run that way. This stuff is going to disappear. So, you know, can the, if you're really seriously building something, this is good news. This is when the real boats without holes float up. And everyone
0: else sinks. Well, that's a great way to end it. I, I had other questions, but that's a really optimistic uh, way to end. So we're gonna, we're going to leave it there. Um, Oleg, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Um, and I think you know we'll we'll touch base again uh, in a, in a year or two and and see how you've kind of navigated uh, this space as a real business with real users, um, but also with this kind of token economy that is, of course. Uh, really at, at the mercy of uh, bigger macro uh, currents. So good luck with it. Um, Thank I'm, you. I'm sure you're going to uh, continue to be successful with it. I'm, I'm looking forward to touching base with you uh, uh, in the near future. Thanks, Alec.
1: Fantastic, Jamie. Thank you very much for your time. Bye-bye.
0: If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3.